Hey guys, this is Jason and you're listening to the Grace Station podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can check out all uh, past and future episodes at thegraystation.com. You can also check us out online at thegraystation.com, Twitter at the Grace Station, Facebook at the Grace Station. Please uh, download, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. If you're in the Vidalia, Georgia area, we'd love to have you worship with us Sunday mornings. Uh, I teach at Journey Community Church. We have service at 10 a.m. at the STC Auditorium, and uh, I think you'd really enjoy it. It's laid back. It's casual. It's an awesome time. We spend about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. We worship. We teach. We have stuff for our kiddos. It's pretty awesome. Uh, It's been a minute since I've been on with you guys. Um, I've been dealing with a kidney stone for the better part of a month, month and a half, and that's since it's been diagnosed, and now that I look back, that may have been why I wasn't feeling good uh, the prior month, but we're back in business now and feeling better, and so we're going to jump right in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to talk about fullness, the fullness of God. And uh, I want to make you aware of a resource. I use this resource all the time. It's blueletterbible.org. That's blueletterbible.org. And one of the things that's really powerful about that particular um, uh, uh, website is that you can look up every single verse in the Bible, and then you can go and you can click on that verse and go under Tools, I believe it's tools. Let's do this together. I'm going to show you how quickly you can do this. So you go Colossians 1.19, top search bar. You're going to hit the little search bar at the very top. And then right there under tools, it's going to bring that verse up. You're going to hit tools. And as soon as you hit tools, you're going to have your opportunity to look at that word. Each word will be broken down, and it will have listed out beside it its original Greek or Hebrew word. You'll have a Strong's number. That's the concordance. That means you can click that number and see how many times that word was used in the text. You can also connect with different Bibles, cross-references, commentaries, dictionaries. And so what you're going to end up with is just a wonderful just treasure trove of, of resources. Um, I'll often go there and look at the maps, like if I'm in the book of Acts and I'm, and I'm interested in what's going on here. I click on those miscellaneous resources and boom, there's a map. This will show me approximately where Paul was or what many scholars would believe was going on. On the right-hand side, there are commentaries from all kinds of different uh, pretty solid Bible teachers. But what I like to consider is this, is to go back over here uh, to the tools, to interlinear, interlinear and really look at some of the these words and try to just kind of dig into it. And, and one of the words that I like there... Um, in that verse, where it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It pleased the Father. So if I'm studying this, the, the first word that's going to kind of trip my kind of uh, spirit, that's going to go, hey, there's something going on here, is that word pleased. Um, what does it mean to, to, to please God, for it pleased the Father? Um, I think we should be sensitive to those things. If there's a Bible verse that talks how... God was or is pleased, and we're believers, um, I think we would be motivated to study that, understand that, and really, what does it mean to please God? What does that, what does that mean? And to really dig into that. And the second word that's really powerful to me is the word fullness. What does it mean that fullness dwelt 
in him or that all it pleased him uh, that in Christ all fullness would dwell you know what does that mean because we think about fullness we think about you know I'm full from supper or I'm satisfied so let's let's look at those two words and when we look at that word um, pleased it means to think of think as good to take pleasure in to prefer to choose to desire it's a really powerful word and then if we step over there and we click that next thing and we check out um, that word fullness listen to this cool definition it's like a ship that is filled with sailors and rowers and soldiers it can also be used of a group of people such as the body of believers in the church it can also be uh, the freight or the merchandise on a ship it can also mean completeness it can mean abundance it means fulfilling okay so let's put all this together let's go back and look at this this word God God found great pleasure he thought it was a good thing that in Christ there should be completeness or fullness or the exact reality of or a depth of um, would dwell in him and so then we began to look and we said but what about some different translations or what about some ways that some other people are looking at this and what we realize is that there may be a little twist here on this translation it says this uh, the Holman Christian says this for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him speaking of Christ God was pleased to have all his fullness um, the New American Standard, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. The Revised Standard, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And I love Young's literal. You know, Young's literal is this powerful kind of old school translation. Because in him it did please all the fullness to tabernacle or to indwell to live and so what are we thinking about here when we think about the relationship between the father and the son that when the father looks at the son when the father is in relationship with the son he is pleased he is happy with he is excited about he chooses he prefers that in Christ all of the full reality of who God is inhabited Jesus that he was a demonstration a, a manifestation a revelation a full illustration of the reality of the entirety of God and and that's really important because if you'll remember right above that in Colossians chapter 1 it says or let's just uh, verse 17 and he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in what that in all things he might have the preeminence or he might be first so let's think about this God is teaching us that it is it is awesome to God it pleases God God is happy that Jesus is the is the is the manifestation of all that God is <laughs> that would that that when God speaks of what makes God what makes God happy or what brings God pleasure 
or what what is an experience of joy for God and and that's so hard for us to understand when we think about an infinite perfect being having joy and all this kind of stuff but Paul expresses like this when God decided that Jesus would uh, manifest and live among us uh, and walk among us and live among us, die for us and be resurrected for us, send to the right hand and be seated at the Father's right hand and then promise to come receive this back to himself someday. It pleases God to know that the full reality of who he is has been revealed to us in Jesus. I always put it this way. Now, this is my simple translation. If you want to understand the nature and reality of God, look at Jesus because he is the open declaration of God to humanity. So what is this? He is God's ultimate moral truth. He is God's ultimate uh, statement about violence. He is God's ultimate statement about love. He is God's ultimate statement about redemption and forgiveness and kindness and power and resurrection and death and life. I mean, he, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> you know, I always, I always think to myself whenever I struggle with a theological conundrum, whenever I come up to something where I'm thinking deeper and deeper, what does God mean here and what does God mean? Usually if I just kind of dig in a little bit and settle on, you know, Jesus is probably the answer to this thing. This thing's either pointing to Jesus, right, in your Old Testament kind of stuff. It's either pointing to Jesus, right, or in the New Testament it's pointing back to Jesus, you know, towards Jesus or back to, back to Jesus, you know, forwards or backwards, but he's the central central figure of the text. And and it, it I don't want to overstate this, but I don't think you can. When we're thinking about the preeminence of Jesus, when we're thinking about putting Jesus uh, in, our, in the right concept of, of being the head of the church, the head of our lives, the head of our families, uh, you know, that, oh, that, that term we use, the Lord Jesus, you know, that idea, the, the awesome revelation of who God is, we need to understand that Jesus, that the father is excited and happy about the fact that Jesus has perfectly demonstrated him, has perfectly revealed him, is the, is the ultimate uh, illustration of him, beyond illustration, is the, that in Christ all the fullness of the father dwells, Right? That, that when we encounter Jesus, we see the Father's love and the Father's forgiveness and the Father's mercy and the Father's kindness and the Father's warmth, okay? Now, the reason I think this is so important is because we can almost in our minds develop this idea of this kind of dual nature of God that, that the Father is kind of against us and Jesus is kind of for us, that the Father is holy and righteous and good and perfect and that the Son is loving and kind and merciful and gentle. And so we can almost have this idea of when we're in relationship with, with God, this triune being who has, you know, Trinity, this Trinity that has revealed itself to us, um, or revealed himself to us, um, that, that we're dealing with this kind of split reality. And what we need to understand is that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world I mean or reconciling the world to himself I mean think about that like when we think of the father sometimes we can think of God as being very distant and cold and out there and and yet 
All that is the Father is revealed to us in the Son, the Father's heart for us, the Father's love. That's why so many of the parables that Jesus taught, I believe, start out with using the idea of Father, using the idea of a master, using the idea of a Lord, so that he can express truth about God in this you know, kind of mysterious and wonderful and awesome way. Um, when we think about the reality of who God is, the, the summation of God, and we look at Jesus, think about this. Um, what does God say about death? I can conquer it. I've done so in Jesus. He said, what about our fear? I can deal with it. Think about Jesus. Sin, I've forgiven it. Think about Jesus. Reconciliation, we can be friends. Think about Jesus. Um, uh, shame, guilt, um, uh, loneliness, um, abandonment, all of those things that we deal with, um, sh- you know, uh, it, when we think to ourselves, um, am I enough? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I wanted? Am I forgiven? Am I graced? Am I mercy? You know, all of those identity questions, does, does is God for me or is he, you know, then what we recognize is post faith in Jesus is this amazing reality that we have been invited into this divine relationship where where the father and the the father has no um there's no part of the father that says man I wish that I could save a little glory for myself he freely shares all that he has with the son and if we are in Christ and think about this this begins to kind of get deep if he's not ashamed to share it with one of his sons, think of all that he's willing to share with all of his sons and his daughters because we are in Christ. Now, I don't want to take this too far and read something that's not in the text, but later on we find out that we are in Christ, that we are one with him, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are part of him and he's part of us, that we are in him and he's in us. And so when we begin to understand that God is not God is not withholding any good thing from the Son. He's not withholding any good thing from us. He, he relates to us in a son's role. He relates to us uh, in, in the role of one that he loves. He connects with us. That's what grace is. See, grace is so much more than just, um, you know, uh, this get out of, you know, hell free card or something. You know, this little simple forgiveness thing you know where you lord please forgive me of my sins i'm really sorry blah 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 all that stuff um there's a component of that in there but it's so much deeper than that and i had to jump on the podcast I, i've just had all this these thoughts cooped up and this this one's a little more disjointed than it, it usually is but i like to think of um you know i think about my earthly son you know and and it would it, nothing would please me more then for all of my wisdom and intelligence and knowledge and understanding, which is very limited, but, but let's just say um, everything that I've learned, if my son was to walk on a stage somewhere or a field or a school or a classroom and he was to participate in life and I would see in him characteristics that I knew he had received from me, words that I use, phrases that I use, a, 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 a way of being that I use, right? What father wouldn't stand back and go, man, it pleases me that there are 
realities of who I am being revealed in my son. Well, the father in heaven has that ultimate pleasure. When he sees his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? I want to I be just absolutely um, certain that I'm quoting that correctly because that's one of those verses that, you know, Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. People really don't know who he is at this point, you know. And in Matthew's gospel, there's this voice from heaven and it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Radical concept here. This was before Jesus had, and I'm putting in air quotes, done anything. This is before his first real public miracles. This is before there is this enunciation of who he is in the in the broader public sphere. This is before he's got this great group of followers. And he, he, matter of fact, this is at the height of John the Baptist being the man. You know, this is this is when all eyes are on this strange prophet from the wilderness, and now this everyday dude from the heart of town comes walking out there and the voice speaks this is this this one right here this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and so what happens we get to participate vicariously and i that's one of those dangerous words but it's a powerful idea we get to uh, be united with the son that he's pleased with we're made one with him and so what does he speak over us the same things he speaks over his own son uh, love and and kindness and goodness and welcome and rejoicing, you know? I like to think about it like this. I don't think the Father in heaven and the Son, I don't think they ever have a day in heaven where they where they don't look at each other and and share a smile. And, and I know that I can sometimes read and think into, you know, what would infinity say to infinity? What would eternity say to eternity? But can you imagine all the, you ever have conversations with your buddies and you sit around and you, you say, hey, remember, remember when? <laughs> I mean, these guys, you know, they could do that. Of course they remember when. All time is irrelevant to them other than the way that they use it to manifest their love and their mercy into our human existence. But, you know, they're like, hey, remember when we saved baby Moses? You know, remember when David was out there and he and we that 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 we took that one stone. Remember, remember when Abraham revealed his faith. You know, um, hey, remember that that that. Remember that time when we wrapped you in those swaddling clothes. Remember, remember when you walked on water and how Peter looked. I mean, you imagine these conversations they're having, right? That's father to son. Friend to friend, you know, and I know we don't want to put too, you know, human a twist on the on the Trinity. But I, I do know this: I have those kind of conversations with my kids, and what I see developing in them, what I see revealed in them from time to time, are traits of 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 me and traits of their mom or their grandparents, and that that pleases me to no end. And that's the reality of the Father. And so when the Father then says through Paul, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of your marriage. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is to have preeminence. Preeminence. Uh, when you think about me, think about him. And we often think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in kind of that order, you know, of kind of, 
a hierarchy, which I think is dangerous. But if we're going to think of it in any kind of hierarchical, is that right? Hierarchical, uh, you know, uh, system. Let's not let's let's put them in a triangulated uh, love relationship of father loving son, loving spirit, loving father, loving son, loving spirit. I mean, you know, and then in in, in inviting us to experience that eternity with them. And, uh, and so what that does is that takes the pressure off of pleasing him through my works. And then my works become honest, responsible choices of a loved child rather than fear-based responses uh, to law or legalism or the world. That's where my behavior becomes most genuine. I give because I've received. I love because I've been loved. I help because I've been helped. I shelter because I've been sheltered. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I care because I've been cared for. Do you see how that works? That what happens is that my behaviors begin to uh, mimic the fathers. And I, I use the word mimic in the most positive sense of that word, not in a in kind of some you know, fake copy, but I begin to develop a consciousness of who I am in Christ and how pleased God already is with me. And that's a radically transformative thing for my behavior. It really is. It really is. Because now my choices, now watch this. Um, if I'm under law and legalism, well, there's no freedom in that choice. You have to do it because you're afraid, right? You know, you have to show up, you have to do, you have to give because, 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 and there's a thousand different rules. And if you don't, God is angry with you. You know what I mean? That's that system. Well, what happens when that burden of pleasing God, and I'm using that very carefully, uh, because I don't want people to say, well, Jason doesn't think we ought to please God. I do think we please him. We please him by trusting his son, Jesus. And then he finds great pleasure in us when we walk obediently in his truth and do awesome moral things. But he's pleased not because we've earned it and earned, but because we get to experience it. You know? We take our kids on vacation. And the whole time they're out there in the ocean, I don't expect them to come run up to me every three minutes and go, Dad, thank you, 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 right? And I don't expect them to work all summer. You better work or we're not going on vacation. You better do this. You better No, it's my pleasure to give that vacation and then to just set them free and let them enjoy it, right? And they know that and they respond to that. And that's what God's calling us to. It's this radical thing where now my behavior, when it's when when your behavior is freed <laughs> from the burden of this might get me uh, in trouble with God, and now it can become what's the most practical, spiritual, beneficial thing I can do in this situation, in this situation, in this situation, and I have the free moral choice as a redeemed, sanctified, set-apart son of the king to bring all of, I, all of who I am to, to bear, all of the intellect he has given me, all of the wisdom he has given me, all of the knowledge, all of the friendships, all of the lessons that he has taught me, and then I bring that to that circumstance and I act. That's a powerful way to be alive. It's far more powerful than this fear-based religion on the other side or this fraudulent world system. 
See, the world will offer you freedom, which is really prison, right, right, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it will offer you a counterfeit to everything that is true, right? It's what it does. It, 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 it offers the lie rather than the truth, and that's why when confronted by the ways of the world, we, we should abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. And then when confronted with the legalistic goody two-shoesism, you know, which is as dangerous, if not more so. I mean, Jesus spent much more time that I can read dealing with people who were religious snobs than he ever had to deal with people who were sinners. <laughs> I mean, he spent his time with the sinners hanging around, and I'm sure he didn't congratulate them for their sin. I'm sure he showed them a brand new way and left them changed. You know? It's a reason, there's a reason that the religious establishment crucified him while the everyday people worshipped him, you know. And I think it's very important how we read that whole crucifixion story and how we understand what was going on there. And especially as we read those first few chapters of the book of Acts and we see how pointed the laser is on who was, who was guilty of the blood of Jesus. It was those leaders, right? Because when Jesus is free-flowing and doing his thing, that terrifies religion. Because he, Jesus is about taking off shackles, and religion likes all of us to look the same, act the same, talk the same. Now, we're not talking about abandoning basic moral truths. We're talking about choosing them freely instead of choosing them out of fear. We love him because he first loved us. We do the things that he asks us to do because we know they're the best things for us, and we choose them because we actually legitimately have a choice to choose them. We have all of eternity to get it right, and he's patient and kind and long-suffering. And so I know that there are those who will disagree and say that the primary impetus behind salvation is to get us to act right. And I would suggest that the primary reality behind that is to get us to believe and think right, and that believing and thinking right about the nature of the relationship that we now have with God will eternally eternally manifest itself in better choices practically spiritually relationally financially you know because you're freed of the religious burden and the worldly burden i don't have to look in the world for love i don't have to look to religion for love i've got all the love i need it's right here in jesus i'm overflowing with it see what i'm saying i mean this grace stuff's pretty radical dude and so when you understand that the father is not jealous of the son <laughs> that the God that we think of as distant and far is wrapping himself in Jesus and says, I want to demonstrate myself to the world and that it pleases that all of I, who I am dwells in him and that there's no shame in that and there's no let back in that and there's no take back in that. And now I want that Jesus, that Savior, to go out and manifest himself in the world and let the world know him, right? We know what happens when that light shines. There are many in the religious community who will see it. That light will shine, and it will appear to be darkness. But for the, those who are longing and those who are seeking and those who are in darkness and didn't know they were, that light shines in, and we be, 
behold his glory, right? The glory is the only begotten of the Father. That's what we beheld. We beheld his glory. That's what John says they looked at. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. And we found out something. He, he, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is full of grace and truth. There's something magnificent about him. Astonishing about him. Outstanding about him. And the Father says, you want to know me, know him. You want to relate to me, relate to him. You want to see me, see him. I mean, that's better than biscuits, you know? Anyway, I've gone on. This is going to be the longest episode, but that's cool. Anyway, check us out online, thegracestation.com. Check us out Sunday mornings, Journey Community Church. That's journeychurchga.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at journeychurchga. Uh, My name is Jason, and I hope you have a blessed and grace-filled week. Until we talk again, many blessings.